You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Hello and welcome back to the watching brief, or I suppose the regular watching brief as opposed to a special covering a demonstration at Sheffield <laughs> for the week of the 21st of June 2021. Uh, I am joined by an Edamamid up Andy. Hello Andy. Do I have to explain that now? Uh, you, 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 you can or you can leave it as a mystery uh, uh, either way. Uh, put, put, put it this way dear viewer, it, it involves uh... The uh, family, House Brockman, visiting our local Sainsbury's in its sushi counter and uh, a nice um, Japanese healthy snack. Brilliant. That is now stuck between my teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, too much information. Yeah. London, uh, London, um, uh, London problems to one side, Um, I suppose. Well, actually, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. Supermarket problems to one side. Um, We have we have sushi up here as well. Our watching brief continues, does it not, uh, to examine the archaeological news of the day and present it here for you guys to examine, digest and comment on below. And this week is, as you were saying just before we started recording, a little bit of a, a placeholder week. There's lots of things that are happening, lots of pots on the boil. And uh, I suppose we should start by just examining what actually happened in Sheffield on Wednesday, in so much as I was on standby for much of the day to record, and then on Thursday afternoon we were going to record, and that didn't happen because of the internet. And then here we are today recording something that isn't exclusively about Sheffield University Senate. So so what happened? And uh, in the context of all the other things that we're going to keep an eye on, what are we going to be keep, keeping an eye on at Sheffield? Right. So essentially, Sheffield University Senate, which is an advisory body consisting of members of staff and students, students union and so on, um, met on Wednesday afternoon to discuss the, um, the the recommendation of the archaeology review group, which, if people remember, was to close the archaeology department and end most archaeology teaching, only retaining certain what, um, what the university describes of, as areas of excellence within other departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the proposal that was on the table. Um, it transpired that, first of all, that Senate wasn't going to take a vote on it. Um, I've got a question in with the university uh, comms team at the moment saying, basically, were they afraid that if they took a vote on the floor of Senate that the senior management might lose, mm-hmm. uh, which w- would have been rather embarrassing if that had happened, given that the chair of Senate is the vice-chancellor, uh, Professor Cohn Lamberts. Um, as it stands, um, somebody who was in the meeting said that um, it went on longer than expected. The other business was cancelled. Meeting lasted about three hours. 
Um, it was a detailed discussion. Um, there were some critical questions of the Deputy Vice-Chancellor, um, uh, Professor Joe Valentine, who actually led the process and has been heavily criticised by, particularly by students, um, for the way that the uh, she conducted the review. Um, but that seems to have, uh, she seems to have got through that particular ordeal. Um, there were uh, comments about the figures, there were comments about um, the practice, uh, but also about the viability of the department, which is the university's um, angle that the department as it currently stands, it's too small, it's not economically viable. Um, the upshot of this is that instead of taking a vote, members of Senate have been asked to answer a questionnaire. Hmm. And um, I've uh, sources have provided the wording of the questionnaire, which is advice on the future academic di uh, direction of archaeology. It is proposed to retain key areas of strength in archaeological research and teaching, including cultural heritage and osteoarchaeology, by aligning them with other parts of the university, with a strong commitment to identifying other areas of strength where there may be scope for innovative collaborations to support the transition and to target investment in further development of these areas of excellence. Lots of use of the word of excellence. Um, including ex strong <laughs> Britain, strong. Sorry, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> something else. That that's one Britain, one Britain, one nation. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'll, bre I'll break off. Just look for the day-to-day -day video about Britain. It's all going to be all right. Okay. I tweeted it out this morning. Um, that's you know, and and, and I, I'm I'm just go with the Swedish uh, Glad Midsummer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a much nicer. Yeah. Much better. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad glad summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically the question, um, it says, uh, um, uh, and it finishes, in response to this proposal, please comment with your advice on the following. Please comment on the academic elements of the proposal. Mm. In other words, Senate are only allowed to comment on the proposal itself. They're not allowed to question the process. They're not allowed to question the figures. They're not allowed to question the um, advisability of Professor Valentine likening students to, um, uh, dividing students between ones who shop at Aldi and the higher quality ones who shop at Marks and Spencer, who the university might would prefer to have as part of its brand, mm -hmm. allegedly. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, to, so to, to, to the critics of the process, it looks like another stitch up. It looks like uh, the, uh, the Senate was prevented from expressing a joint, um, a, a, a joint version, a, a, a joint opinion of the process, um, and certain things have been ruled out. Um, again, uh, the story's got somewhere to run, and the next part of the, uh, the, the next official um action is a meeting of the university council and the university council is the body that will take a vote and it's a um it's a binding vote on the future of archaeology at sheffield yes or no do you know when that is uh 12th of july i think so but around about two weeks time okay just over two weeks time well i guess we'll keep an eye out for that um i i i'm uh in the context of other things that we need to talk about in today's watching brief uh i'll just briefly mm -hmm. say i am weary <laughs> i am extremely wary of people uh in various high powered positions in public life being able to snap rules not just bend them actually snap them and then form and get to to dictate the way in which their conduct is examined it is mm -hmm. a very ugly tendency in 
I mean, you, you, you've termed it, you know, strong management uh, or whatever it's called, macho management um, in the past. Uh, this idea of never apologize, you know, um, never explain. Yeah, never apologize, never explain. Uh, it's it, it's it's wearisome. Uh, it's really quite sad. And uh, I, I, I obviously, we'll keep on supporting and, and reporting on the uh, the Sheffield camp mm-hmm. campaign from the archaeology department. But uh, uh, if the university doesn't do something or say something or at least comment on, for goodness sake, the, the conduct mm-hmm. of uh, of ad- admin, um, for example. We know they apparently destroyed documents, contrary to, to yes. um, that's been admitted. Yeah, contrary to uh, to policy. Uh, then, then what's the point of having policy? What's the point of having senate and council and all this nonsense? If if basically one person can uh, what well one or two or three people can can do this sort of thing and uh, and not be held to account. Uh, and I, obviously, well, I'm being, I, I, I'm, I, sh- I should I'm, add- I'm being a little bit. As I say, I'm weary. A little bit. A little bit cynical there but it's uh it'll be disappointing if nothing if nothing else is said on this well uh i think there will be other things said um the process isn't complete yet Mm. it could still be examined by something like a judicial review but that can't happen until after the official um vote has been taken and the university has 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 a policy um it can then that can then be questioned um but already uh, over 100 students have submitted a letter of complaint to the University Ethics Committee mm. about the way that the review was conducted, or at least the way their, um, their part in the review was conducted. Mm. Um, we, uh, we talk, we've talked about that before, and I, I've written it up in the pipeline if people want to look up the, look up the article. Um, so other things are happening. Uh, people are trying to bring transparency and accountability to the process, but... Yes. As in so many areas at the moment, it's an uphill struggle. Yeah, yeah. Uphill, uphill struggle is the word. Uh, moving on then to other uphill struggles, we have the uh, the Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, who's definitely on my Christmas card list, um, <laughs> to, <laughs> talking to the Higher Education Policy Institute um, uh, with uh, a, a series of comments summarised, for example, in a Twitter thread that I have up here, imagine me from Will Hazel of the I newspaper. Um, also, yeah. you chose another thread as well, which we'll include in links below, um, where Gavin uh, happens to be good, 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 dear, dear viewer. It happens to be the one that I did yesterday when when he did the speech. But oh, you know. there we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, which uh, Gavin appears to uh, well blow hot and cold talk uh truth and lies possibly and um you might you might say that you might say that i couldn't possibly comment so a couple of a couple of highlights here include um kevin williamson saying that um uk universities are the most vital jewel in our education crown isn't that lovely and he goes on to say that um unis that unis however have not been delivering enough of the kind of opportunities we need for the society that we want the purpose of education is to give people the skills to lead a fulfilling working life keep your head down get to work produce for this economy produce for your for, for your society um that's not the purpose of higher education as far as i'm concerned he actually compares higher education to uh what's called fe or further education elsewhere in the thread where he says that, that higher education institutions need to be following further education's uh, lead in providing more um uh opportunities for for uh, things like apprenticeships and uh um, practical 
so-called practical work opportunities and this kind of thing and and i don't i don't disagree with that at all but uh to, to begin by saying most vital jewel in our education crown while also overseeing various attacks on notions of freedom of speech and the value of uh, for example performing arts and archaeology and uh, other bits and bobs uh, i suppose you could say he's doubling down on the on, on what the government's priorities are uh, but uh, it seems to me that, uh, that that statement, that the purpose of higher education being primarily to provide a fulfilling working life, is uh, it's undermining um, the notion that higher education is a jewel. It's much more of a, of a cog, I would suppose, in a machine. Um, what, 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 what do you make of this? Because as, as, you get, as, as the, the listener can probably tell, my... Uh, <laughs> I'm going from the Sheffield Sheffield management now to Gavin Williamson, and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not happier. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Look, uh, I, mean, I um I, I read the whole speech as delivered and and tweeted out some excerpts yesterday, and and again, I do urge people to read this stuff because although it, it, it's not the most scintillating piece of prose you'll ever read, it's important because this is a senior member of the government mm. um, stating the government's position effectively. And you're 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 right about the um, the analogies uh, he, or the the, the um, suggestions he make, makes about the role of uh, further and higher education. There's actually another um, quote in the um, in the speech which I think goes even further than that. Um, he says they, well, meaning the universities. <laughs> All right. yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you know which direction my antennae twitch. Mm. Um, no, but he he, um, he said they, the, meaning the universities, must support and drive regional growth and productivity, particularly where it is weak. And to do this, they'll need to change and will not be slow to step in if those changes are not happening. Now, effectively, that means universities need to respond to their local economy. Mm. And he's implying that the government will step in to direct possibly courses and content if they don't. Oh, and by the sounds of it, um, quotas, you don't need this many of that type of graduate Absolutely. in this area now the thing is though that seems to imply that universities exclusively cater to people from the area in which they're teaching mm. uh what about the drive to to recruit international students which uh, mm. i'm pretty sure he's previously said is one of the the great things about it, about uk universities what about the fact that people can as it stands at least go to university outside the country where they're from for example i went to durham university i'm from north wales uh, it, it's it's just more of the same myopic, more moronic, circular thinking from this from this chap. And and, and again, I know I'm using emotive language again, but we're about to move mm. on to something else where the nice the nice the nicety of acting unlawfully is about to be to be um, deployed. And uh, yet again, we see leadership. Uh, seemingly getting away with whatever it is they particularly want to get away with. They can sort of decide, yeah. as I say, the the way in which people are allowed to criticise them. Um, I mean, what, what what's the significance of the of this of this speech from Williamson? Is it is it just an, another uh, another marker on the road that we're on? Do you think? Yeah, I I I, I think it is. It's it, it's it's a waypoint. I mean, he he emphasises again the, um, and we've just talked about it in terms of Sheffield with its mm -hmm. Aldi level students, not wanting to have the Aldi level students, wanting the Marks and Spencers brand students. Um, Williamson talks about that. Um, he talks about entry requirements and uh, implies that it will be compulsory to have 
particular grades in English and maths to be able to embark on a degree. Um, now, uh, that immediately rules out certain people, possibly certain um, societal groups um, who are disadvantaged or don't achieve at GCSE. An A level, or who are um, very capable, but won't, but because of their current circumstances, won't actually see pre- those pre- fruits pre- pre- come, su- come to bear until later on in life, or with with other uh, other contexts. That, that's so. exactly right. Now, to be to be fair to Williamson, he does talk about the, uh, being more flexible and uh, and and uh, improving access to lifelong learning. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm certainly fully in favour of that because it's something I took advantage of, and um, I was one of the last cohort to be able to do that before the Labour government, in fact, began to cut back and uh, make, um, make it more difficult to uh, access and more expensive. Now, what, is um, the, what is the point, I'm, I'm inclined to ask, of lifelong learning um, when education is primarily in order to provide a fulfilling working life? Is it, does, he, does he actually mean a, lifelong you know, training? Is that what he's getting at? It, 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 see what I mean? It's couched in the niceties yeah. of educational language, yeah. but it's not actually consistent and i and i i find myself yeah thinking this man doesn't understand or certainly doesn't respect the people that he's <laughs> yeah. talking to okay look whichever civil servant drafted it for williamson or he may have written it himself uh, but whichever civil servant checked it um they are aware of the criticisms there's a line in it where he says um, we're not attacking the arts although it doesn't back, uh, provide any evidence to back that up and um subsequent events and particularly andrew lloyd weber's interview on lbc this morning um and i urge people to look it up as well if, uh, if they haven't heard it already um that you know m- might give the light of that yes mm. yeah um and he also talks about underachieving courses in computing and things like that mm-hmm. so you know he, he, he's aware of the criticisms that the government's um uh, faced in putting forward these policies but essentially what it boils down to is um, making it more difficult to access higher education Um, so there's an emphasis on um, standards not outcomes Um, certainly one of the arguments at Sheffield is that um, many people flourish at university who might not have flourished in education previously Mm -hmm. they just need to get there Mm -hmm. And um, so that, that that's that's problematic, and then the, there are two the, the two other main problems I think with it that people will see who are critical of the government will be that um, it, it implies um, particularly you know, government intervention in areas where maybe government um, is better to apply a light touch like academia, like academic freedom, like what courses are taught and how they're taught, um, and where they're and uh, and the way they're taught, yeah. Mm. Um, and and the um, just the, gen- the the general um, functional mechanistic um, transactional um, view of education that appears to be being presented. You know, you, uh, get a degree and uh, you'll get a good paying job. Okay, yeah, that there is an expectation of that, but there's also an expectation. You know, people going into our game. You get a degree and you don't expect a well-paying job, but you do it because you love it, you care about it, and you think it's important. Yeah, but also at same, the same, with, same with the performing arts. But also at the same time, we've been. I remember when I was in A level, right? Uh, Tony Blair was in government. We were being told if you don't go to university, you're going to grow up and you're going to have like uh, three legs, and there'll be a pineapple growing out of your head, and if you're lucky, maybe uh, you might 
uh, you might smell of onions for the rest of your life if you don't go to university. So they, basically, it was go to university or your life is going to be completely, um, completely terrible. Um, mm. I remember at that point going, well, what about all the jobs? Uh, where, where, how, how is the jobs market actually going to reconfigure itself to actually understand the value of all of these people with BAs, for example, or MAs or PhDs or postdocs, this kind of thing? Uh, and quite simply, it didn't. That did not happen. And so now we have a government that is that is post, obviously post Labour, certainly a government which is benefiting. I'll argue that Labour's post Labour, but there we are. That's another story. That is benefiting from uh, from a, a generalised public exposure to higher education, whereby parents can say, "Oh, my, you know, my child went to uni and all they did was get drunk all the time." Don't really see the value of that. So a sort of a, a cynical undermining of academic um, growth authority and the benefits actually of going to university so they're benefiting from that so that that means that they can take a swipe at whoever they want to take a swipe at at the moment uh, but they're also as well still trying to peddle this notion that education is, the, is a crown is a jewel in the crown and that education is important and that education will lead to a well-paid job well, I've heard this before, and the thing is, I feel this cynical, and I've been to university, and I would, if I could afford to in the future, send any potential kid I might have to university as well, if I can. But where's the, where, where, where's the proof in the pudding that, that any of this stuff will work, as opposed to it just being yet another ideological tinkering with the university education system? Uh, and as it stands... I see no evidence that it's anything other than ideology. And it's an ideology that's very particularly driven against, for example, art, cultural expression, cultural explora exploration, and an awareness of our shared history in this nation. Um, we do have other things to talk about, uh, but is there any, anything you'd like to say, uh, say finally on this? I, I just think that, um, you know, we are in the even before COVID, the world was in a state of flux. You know, in, in ten years' time, the idea of a personal vehicle that you sit at, sits outside your house and you fill with petrol and drive around may be a thing of the past. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, COVID has emptied the high streets. Retail jobs are now in decline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are many, many debates to be had. We're starting to see again debates about universal basic income. Furlough has uh, prompted that debate. And whether it's actually viable, that, that, you know, whether there's enough money in the system that uh, can support people um, who might not have a nine to five working life anymore, or it might be very variable. Um, and universities and educational opportunities of all kinds will be there to actually help enrich those people's lives. No, and therefore no, by enriching those no, lives, by no, enriching no, society. No, no, they're there to provide a fulfilling working life. They're not well, there to enrich people's that, lives, apparently. No. Well, exactly. No. That's, that's, the, that's the point. That's the, that's the, exactly. That's the discussion that has to be had. And, and, and I think it will be had. That, you know, that there'll be a pushback sure against being, this. I'm not sure it is being had. And he, was, he was telling people... And this, and this is this is reflected in what we've talked about in previous watching briefs about uh, priorities for funding. Uh, it's reflected in uh, conversations that surround things like the National Trust, though largely those things have been conflated. They've been um, mm. manufactured, and again, in order to take advantage of that base who are cynical and and mistrusting of higher education and so-called snobby elite type people. Um, incidentally, work, very working class in my background, so you know, so. Don't don't come at me with that, people in comments. But it's one of those things where uh, 
they've got they've got to get their heads straight and and to, and maybe mm. the problem here is actually is that actually that Gavin Williamson is not the person to do this. He doesn't strike me as particularly clever. He doesn't strike me as particularly no. focused, and he doesn't strike me as someone who actually has a passion for for the genuine improvement of, of, of this of this nation's future via education it, this is well as you were saying this 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 is a mechanism with which to to satisfy the project projected needs of the labor market um mm. it's yeah but anyway we need to move on we need to move on we've, 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 we need to move on in this watching brief we will return to this but this is something else to keep an eye on folks this week uh, as as of all very, mu- very much so these are very the pots so. on the on the on the stove uh, our next pot on the stove and maybe that's the thumbnail i'll just do a pot there's a series of pots with yeah. things coming out of them the next one is actually um it's bo- bo- boiling over with this horrible congealing mess on the top of the cooker yeah uh, did i mention that i'm i'm due for a holiday um <laughs> <laughs> Um, the the world is due for a holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the next pot is at, at Stonehenge, um, where uh, Grant Shapps, um, transport secretary, um, has been described as having uh, quote acted unlawfully uh, in his uh, cons- uh, failure to consider properly consider damage to ancient sites and artifacts in giving the Stonehenge Road Tunnel a go-ahead. This is according to the High Court. Um, (laughs) What does this mean, Andy? So in so much as there was... This is the beginning of a process, isn't it? So there there was a judicial review that's begun, um, and the outcome will... What will happen at the outcome of this process? So this is is a headline coming out of of this, this initial review, isn't it? But what will happen at the end? Right. And and I think uh, I'm going to queue up the the rest of the discussion because um, by sheer coincidence, there's nothing um, planned about this. Get it? See what I did there? Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, the, um, UNESCO, which is the body that oversees grants world heritage status and oversees world heritage status, published a um, or at least received an opinion this week that Liverpool, World Heritage Site should lose its World Heritage status because of intrusive developments on the Liverpool waterfront. Mm. Um, that there was immediate pushback on that from people in Liverpool, politicians, architects, and uh, saying that UNESCO is taking a an overly purist view of the World Heritage Site, and that um, although there have been development, it'd been necessary development to make the city viable, to well, make the waterfront is, viable. Yeah, this is the Liverpool uh, Waters Project. Um, uh, a large gallery. New Everton Stadium, the New Everton Stadium, and yeah. and, and, and and so on. And uh, and um, and just to so say, just briefly, in this instance, the idea is that it will alter, significantly alter the skyline and the, the and the the environment of what are historic Docklands. So there's the, uh, the that, Albert Dock and others. That, yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and and to give you an idea of of, of how um, sensitive these things are, astonishingly, um, Robert Jenrick actually. Um, knocked back a development proposal for the Albert Embankment in London, opposite the Houses of Parliament, or close to the Houses of Parliament, um, this week on the grounds that the towers that were uh, going to be included in the development um, impinged on the protective views of the Westminster Parliament uh, and Westminster Abbey World Heritage Site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the government can act on these things and can take World Heritage status seriously. The issue at stake in... Uh, um, at, at Stonehenge is that the A303 upgrade 
is the short tunnel option, which means that uh, the the exit to the tunnel and a, a dual carriageway crosses the World Heritage Site, the Stonehenge and Avebury World Heritage Site, where it wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason it's being judicially reviewed, which is a legal process, and it's the last legal process really that's in the way of the campaigners or in, 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 in the hands of the campaigners um, before the project goes ahead. Um, the um, uh, Grant, Grant Shapps is uh, alleged to have unlawfully overridden the opinions of the um, examining uh, body, which um, the examining authority, which was a five-person panel of expert planning inspectors. It's you know these aren't lay, pe- lay people; these are really hard-nosed, very bright people who are thoroughly these immersed people in. People who have enriched their lives by going to a university, perhaps. Probably, probably, but yeah, the, the, these are people who deal with planning every day. They they know the law backwards. They know the intention of the law backwards, mm-hmm. um, and they came down on the side that the. Um, the, the, the A303 upgrade, as currently designed, should not go ahead. And they made that recommendation to the minister. The minister overrode that. And that's what's being reviewed now. It's the subject of a three-day hearing. Um, the um, Stonehenge, Safe Stonehenge World Heritage Site uh, group, which is bringing the case, uh, which it's crowdfunded, um, says that uh, there are the number of grounds that they attack Shaps on, uh, for example, that um, harm to heritage assets within the site should have been assessed individually uh, rather than looking at the historic environment in totality. Um, it says that Historic England's advice wasn't enough for, wasn't strong enough for the Secretary of State to override the planning inspectors. Um, and the, and in, this, um, so in this instance, was English Heritage's advice to say that 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 there was no problem um that they um yeah effectively they that they, they they've effectively greenlit the um the, the current project uh and english heritage which owns stonehenge have actually welcomed it okay. um but yeah there there's a lot of heritage sector politics going on there um, as well as, um, I mean, they're, um, they're 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 just a national body charged with protecting the in, the integrity of the uh, historic yeah. environment in this country, whose uh, purse yeah. strings happen to be held by the government. There's no yeah. conflict of interest there. Uh, no, um, but also, <laughs> you know, you know, um, they, they, you know they, they 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 also say um, Shaps left out um, mandatory considerations from his decision, including breaching local planning policies. Um, and that the finding of heritage a harm undermines the business case for the proposal uh, because there's a less damaging alternative available, uh, which is the long tunnel, um, which will cost a few billion pounds extra. Mm-hmm. Um, look, look, in, in the end, uh, you know, this isn't about the merits of the project. It's purely about the legality of Grant Shapp's decision. Um, and one so way or another... what's the difference between acting unlawfully and breaking the law? I'm wondering, because we've had a few ministers lately who have acted unlawfully in this country, and no one's gone away in handcuffs. The current edition of Private Eye has a list of them, and it's much longer than you'd expect, and it includes names you might not even recognise. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, acting unlawfully, um, its the it, it means, yes, you've acted unlawfully, but it means you've not acted criminally. In, 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 you know, it, it's something that you haven't interpreted the law properly in your decision making, and therefore you're told to go back and think again. Um, is effectively what what what's um, okay. what's under discussion here. Okay. Um, now, you know, um, it's 
again, these are very complicated areas. Um, these are legal areas where you get into trouble very quickly if you accuse people of criminality when you haven't got the proof, and I'm not certainly not going to start doing that. I'm just wondering what the um, difference is between the two. It sounds to me like it's... An, it's, it's, it's I've, well, no, you know, I've heard it described by a lawyer on Twitter an actual lawyer as being a legal nicety. Basically, it gives people yes. the opportunity to make these sorts of mistakes in public office and not be arrested. Precisely. That's that's a very, as you'd expect from a member of the legal profession, that's an extremely good definition, yeah. It, it, uh, you know, otherwise, most of the cabinet, uh, you know, said large part of the current cabinet would be banged up by now on, uh, according to the list in private eye. Well, maybe you should be doing things like deciding on whether or not you build a road next to Stonehenge based on something other than your own personal opinion. But anyway, um, now then, so... <laughs> 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 in, 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 term, in terms of opinion, the opinion that matters now is the opinion of the judge in the case, and they're likely. Uh, it was a three. It's three day hearing. It ends today, and the judge is likely to reserve judgment for some time in the future. We might have to wait wait a number of weeks for this, yeah. maybe even months. Yeah, I don't know if I'm surprising Andy with my slightly sarcastic and bitter tone this afternoon. I'm, I'm I am tired, um, and I'm also tired of an awful lot of this stuff. Uh, that said, though, in, in addition to Liverpool, Liverpool, uh, we've also included a link to uh, a news story from CNN where um, there are uh, lots of news outlets reporting on this but CNN was the first one that came to, to my attention um, where uh, Venice is at risk of, of uh, being put on the UNESCO's endangered list um, and having its status sort of brought into question um, by uh, by reallowing or by virtue of having reallowed um, uh, large ships and uh, um, cruise ships back into the lagoon um, and uh, this is this is something which I think during Covid the uh, the the mayor I think of Venice I think that was his title said no more thank you these need, need to stop coming in not only is it bad because it brings lots of people off the boat with Covid but also at the same time it's bad for the for the actual historic environment but that's been uh, oh, that's been um, rowed back on if you forgive the pun um, <laughs> in recent months and weeks and uh, it's interesting that UNESCO is choosing this time to make these sorts of comments about Liverpool, about Venice. Uh, I was speculating to you off camera a couple of days ago whether or not this is um, UNESCO trying to trying to, to reinforce their authority in, in places where there's much stronger legal uh, requirements that people listen to their opinion um, compared to other parts of the world where their opinion isn't being listened to all that much. It's, it's an interesting... Thing to, it's, it's an interesting, interesting moment to, to do these two particular things, isn't it? And, and it's also interesting to speculate that it may be something to do with the fact that um, certainly in the last four or five years, under the Trump government in the States, um, uh, Urban in Hungary, uh, the Law and Justice Party in Poland, mm. um, and Boris Johnson's populist government in, in, the, in, in Britain, um, the idea of a, an international rules-based system has been challenged by people like Boris Johnson who are prepared to um, you know, breach international law in a very specific and uh, limited way, as they've said over the Northern Ireland protocol. Would that be akin to being unlawful or actually breaking the... <laughs> <laughs> <I> think, anyway. <laughs> no, Mark, 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 before we disappear down that particular rabbit hole, I think we should probably... Um, leave that one to my learned friends when it, if and when it happens. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, we should. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that is a question. I, you know, I, it, it, it may be that the, the planets are aligning on this on this particular issue at this moment, but um, it, you know, I, I, it's 
Um, but yeah, UNESCO, it's a United Nations body. Uh, it's an international body. And um, it uh, perhaps previously it would have expected its remit to be more recognised in first world countries like Britain. And um, it, that's no longer the case. What, that we're a first world country or that... Uh... Probably. <laughs> Um, if, it, 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 if the trade figures carry on going the way they are, yeah. Um, but um, no. Sorry. Finally, um, finally. You are, you are really firing on all cylinders this afternoon. I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just angry. I'm just an angry, not so young man anymore. Um, so we have um, uh, uh, a final thing, just to keep an eye on, or a final sort of note, I guess. Um, and also, I should say. If anyone's still listening at this point, well, over the weekend we'll be recording an interview with uh, Chloe Duckworth um, of Dig for Archaeology, in which I'll be much more upbeat because I'll I'll, I'll have had a couple of days to, ch- to chillax in between now and then, um, and uh, and that will be part of next week's watching brief. So look look forward to that. But the final thing is it's just just a thing just to, you know, to hang your coat on, just thing to be aware of, and that is the news that George Osborne, former Chancellor of the Exchequer, has been appointed as the uh, the chairperson, chairman, in fact, I believe in the headlines it's, it's called, the chairman mm. of the British Museum. Uh, this is interesting to me, as George Osborne, as Chancellor of the Exchequer, oversaw uh, swinging cuts. That was the phrase that was used back in the uh, in the day, uh, 10 years ago or thereabouts. Uh, it's quite a cool, cool word. It's a nice word. It implies the, the, the sheer volume and motion that it was, this whoosh uh, cuts to uh, to national um, budgets and also in that sense uh, moving an awful lot of, of nationally budgeted uh, responsibilities onto the shoulders of local council and authorities for example uh, so here in Newcastle I remember at the time um, uh, budgets for Newcastle libraries were cut to zero zero pounds nothing uh, for, for a little while until um, there was some, some serious lobbying so uh, this person uh, seemingly has a history of cutting notably arts, heritage and cultural budgets and he's been deemed to be uh, good for the British Museum. This does look like satire, doesn't it? Well, at the end but of this particular I, I, watching I, I, brief, I, I, at the end of this, this particular watching brief, it looks as though it's trying to get me just to walk off, off a pier. <laughs> it's just like, What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on, go ahead. Yeah, look, explain. Look, okay, on on, on 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 the basis that we're all living through uh, li, 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 living in a computer simulation and uh, by, by really really bored teenager who's just now taking the piss. <laughs> um, but uh, no, George, George Osborne, Chancellor of the Exchequer under the Cameron Coalition, he uh, instigated cuts of around about 30, 35% in most sort of cultural and heritage bodies. Mm. Arts Council, Historic England, English Heritage as it then was. He you know, offloaded the historic buildings portfolio into uh, the New English Heritage, which is a private charity that's meant to be self-supporting by 2024, post-COVID. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Um so and and his career was ended because he backed the wrong horse at Brexit and um, when Cameron fell, Osborne fell with him. Um, and since then, he's been uh, picking up directorships, picking up advisory bodies, uh, picking up posts with you know, uh, you know financial companies and so on, and also editing the London Evening Newspaper, having ed- have a, ne- never having edited a newspaper before. 
Um, yeah, why how then? Do these, how do these people get to do all these jobs without any experience at all whatsoever, <laughs> other than just simply the the merit of having been themselves or it's, known certain people? It's quite impressive, really, isn't it? Well, and I, and, and I'm going to I'm going to posit to you that that explains why the board of the British Museum have appointed Osborne as their new chair. Hmm. Uh, Osborne, by dint of being a former Chancellor of the Exchequer, a figure on the world stage in terms of economics uh, whatever their achievements you know he, he is what he is he's done what he's done um when you're a body that is acutely vulnerable to government cuts and we know that the current chancellor rishi sunak is planning uh cutbacks in the wake of the amount of money that the government's paid out on, 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 on during the covid pandemic um i i would i would posit to you that an organization like the british museum which is governed by legislation. Many of the uh, board are appointed either directly by the prime minister or by the department for digital culture, media and sport. Um, it's almost an arm's length government body in itself. It is politically sensible to have as your chair, somebody who can pick up the phone and, and ask to be put through to the prime minister and the prime minister take the call. Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I suppose that makes sense. But, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard, uh, in fact, I do believe you have described such people as being male, stale and pale. And essentially, it's a male, stale, pale solution to a very male, stale and pale problem. And that is... Look, it, absolutely. It, it is absolutely everything that is wrong in the management of this country, in the representation of, you know minorities of all kinds in the management of our institutions, example, our museums, sort of leads, our theatres, governments. To be overtly classist in their, uh, um, uh, their recruitment policies, this kind of thing. All of that, all of that, it, it, you know, it is, it is wrong that these appointments continue to be made like this, but they're not made like this in a world that we don't inhabit at the moment. You know, we have to make that world first before we can make those appointments. Hmm. It's real politique, unfortunately. Mm. I think I think that's what we're dealing with here. You know, mm. I you know, it, it, I mean, I, you know, um, yesterday as a, as a joke when this was announced, I tweeted out a picture of Osborne in, uh, in, in the Bullingdon Club photograph when he was at Oxford in the nineteen eighties. Mm. Um, it's the famous drinking and dining club in Oxford that Boris Johnson was also a member of, and David Cameron was also a member of. It's 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 famous <clears> for <throat> smashing up restaurants and burning five, you know fifty pound notes in front of trams allegedly. Lovely. How lovely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a personification of white privilege. Um, and um, and as a joke, I tweeted I tweeted out the picture with the um, uh, the joke, that uh, not particularly good one, not particularly original one, but I think it made the point that, um, you know, British Museum publishes picture of shortlisted candidates for the chair, for the role of chair. Mm. You know, all these white Oxbridge educated, primarily men. Wealthy, you know, I'm wealthy and connected and networked, yeah. you know, unfortunately at the moment, um, and particularly so under this government, that's how the wheels of government are, you know, how they turn, how they're lubricated. Hmm. Hmm. You need to go away and hit something, <laughs> don't you? Have you, 
<laughs> in, in, in amongst that, have you, have you got a, you know, I know you play, or, or, or either that, or so go to go to some exo- exotic part of the, of, 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 I don't know, Morrowind or whatever you're playing, and just, you know, beat hell out of some trolls or something. Yeah, that could be fun, couldn't it? Yeah, just disappear into Skyrim for a bit. Now, um, I, yeah. I, 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 all, all of this, all of this that we've been talking about today is just a great big pile of, as you say, politique réelle or réelle politique and it, it, but, but, but it's it's uh it's unpleasant it's um self perpetuating and it's the sort of thing that uh, is going to be that has to be uh tackled if if the if the, the taste that's left in all of our mouths after dealing with this stuff especially, for example, in the context of a pandemic, is going to become any anything yeah. better than bitter, as it were. Um, um, and, 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 and I think, as an archaeological sector, and it's, the, and it's what, you know, queuing up the conversation that you're going to have with Chloe, hmm. um, it's how, it's what contribution the archaeological and heritage sector can make to this discussion. To, you know, we all want to live in a better place. Lord knows, after COVID, we certainly want to live in a better way. You know, this, this is this is almost like you know, it, 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 it's you know, obviously, lucky, neither of us were lucky enough. You know, we're lucky enough not to have had to live through a war to come out of the other end. But you know, COVID is has been close to the kind of massive disruption of society that a war brings about. So coming out of it, there is that sort of homes fit for heroes. What can we do to make the world a better place? Feeling, mm. but it's whether uh, we as individuals and particularly from a watching brief point of view, from a watching brief audience point of view, whether the archaeology and heritage sector um, is capable of uh, becoming a strong voice in, 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 in what comes next. It's a good question. And on that note, I guess we'll say, we'll say goodbye for this week. Uh, thank you for your time, Andy, uh, and for putting up with my... Um, my, my my shade and side swipes at, at, at the people involved in these news stories thank you for everyone at home for watching hope you found my displeasure entertaining at the very least and as ever until next time do take care bye bye this podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com